there's no handbook for your child's health, but we do have a podcast featuring world-class clinical and research physicians covering everything from your child's allergies to zinc levels. This is Kids HealthCast by Wild Cornell Medicine. I'm Melanie Cole, and I invite you to listen as we discuss developmental red flags for your children. Joining me is Dr. Sherry Huang. She's the site medical director for Pediatrics Lower Manhattan and an assistant professor of clinical pediatrics at Wild Cornell Medicine. Dr. Huang, it's such a pleasure to have you join us today. As a parent, I know what I was like when I was wondering about those milestones and red flags and developmental issues. Tell us what are some milestones children should hit at each age, whether they're cognitive, gross developmental, social and emotional. Give us a brief overview of how our little kiddos grow. Sure. Thank you for having me, Melanie. Developmental milestones are things that a child can do by a certain age. Some examples are a child's first steps, first words, waving bye-bye, or riding a tricycle. We assess a child for milestones in different areas. This includes language and communication. This is the way the child communicates with speech and language. Cognitive development, which is the child's ability to think and solve problems. Physical development, which includes gross motor skills, which involve large muscles such as standing, walking, or pulling up to stand, and fine motor skills, which involve small muscle movements such as grasping objects, writing, moving fingers and toes, and hand-eye coordination. Then there's social-emotional behavior development. This is the way the child interacts socially, behaves, or expresses feelings. And finally, there are adaptive skills, which is a child's ability to perform self-care, such as dressing, brushing teeth, feeding himself, making choices, or initiating activities. So starting at the very first newborn visit, we ask about milestones. At a few days of age, a baby should be moving the arms and legs equally and reacting to noise. As the baby grows to two months, she should follow faces or objects with her eyes, make cooing noises or smile in response to attention, and raise the head and chest when doing tummy time. As the child gets older, he should be rolling over, sitting up, and responding to his name at six months, and should be standing or walking at around 12 months. A child should be pointing to things and have a few more words by 18 months, and are speaking in short sentences by age two. By age three, the child should be pedaling a bicycle and dressing and undressing himself. And by four years, the speech should be clear and the child should be interacting well with you and her friends. Thank you for that overview, Dr. Huang. So what kind of screenings do you do in the office when parents come to see you? We do monitoring. So we ask these questions about a child's abilities. We physically assess the child. And then there are formal screens that we do at different ages. So at nine months, 18 months, and 24 months. And what if, and I think this is every parent's biggest question and fear, what if they don't hit these milestones? I mean, we know, doctor, children don't grow at the same levels. And I know these milestones are but a guideline. But what if a child isn't hitting them? Do we watch and wait or do we intervene right away? You're absolutely right. Children develop at their own pace, and some will be faster or slower to gain new skills. Milestones do give us an idea of when we expect children to acquire skills. However, it's important to remember that for each developmental milestone, the age at which we expect the child to master the skills spans at least a few months. So parents should not be too concerned if the child does not hit each and every milestone exactly, quote, on time. As long as the child is making progress and gaining skills, parents should be reassured. 
That is really very encouraging and great information. So important for parents to hear from a pediatrician saying this. So now tell us what are some of the signs a parent might notice of developmental delays? What are some red flags, doctor, that might require a developmental screening or a call to the pediatrician? Sure. So the term developmental delay describes when a child is slower to reach developmental milestones compared to other children their age. I'll review some red flags that should prompt a developmental evaluation. However, this list is by far not comprehensive, and I do encourage parents to discuss any individual concerns about their child with their pediatrician. Some general red flags are, anytime a child loses skills she once had, you should let your pediatrician know. But this rule has an exception too. Even healthy kids can temporarily regress during times of illness. Any concerns about a child's vision or hearing? Any child who is persistently low in tone, floppy, or high in tone, very stiff or has tight muscles? Or any child who has asymmetric movements? Now some age-specific red flags include at 5 months if the child is unable to hold an object in the hands, At six months, if the child shows no affection for caregivers, so no big warm smiles, no engaging expressions, or has limited or no eye contact, doesn't roll over in either direction, is not reaching for objects, or has difficulty getting things to the mouth. Some 12-month red flags include not saying words like mama or dada or babbling, not learning gestures like waving or shaking the head, can't sit unsupported, or is not standing when supported. At 18 months, we are concerned when the child doesn't point to show things to others, doesn't imitate others, is not saying at least a few words, or is not gaining new words, does not notice or mind when a caregiver leaves or returns, or is not walking. And some two-year red flags include not using two-word phrases, for example, drink milk or give me, when a child doesn't know what to do with common things like a brush, phone, fork, or spoon, doesn't follow simple instructions, doesn't walk steadily, at 30 months if they are not running or if there's persistent toe walking, and then some four-year red flags are unclear speech, not using pronouns like me and you correctly, not jumping in place, has trouble scribbling, or shows no interest in interactive games or make-believe, or ignores other children, or doesn't respond to people outside the family, can't retell a favorite story, or is not following three-part commands. That's so comprehensive. Dr. Wong, what an excellent summary. So who should be involved in developmental monitoring and screening? Speak about early intervention, why it's so important for the child's well-being, and then if they do have to go to early intervention, and they have this evaluation, this developmental evaluation, What's that like for a child? So those are really great questions. Definitely parents, caretakers, and pediatricians should be involved in developmental monitoring. If the parents are not the main caretaker, so if a nanny or a relative is with the child most of the time, or the child attends daycare, then the parents should speak with the main caretaker about the child's development and ask if there are any concerns prior to each well visit with the pediatrician. Parents, caregivers, and daycare providers should all learn about typical developmental milestones. Some good resources for this are the CDC, which has some great milestone information and great videos. It also has milestone trackers that parents can download. And the New York State Department of Health website and American Academy of Pediatrics also has checklists of developmental milestones. 
So parents, if they notice that there are any delays, they should not wait until the next visit to discuss their concerns with the pediatrician. They should make an appointment relatively quickly, and after the pediatrician has assessed the child, a plan can then be made with the parents to take immediate action or to wait one to three months and see if the child improves or outgrows a problem. Watchful waiting may be a good plan if the delay is mild. Now, if we do decide the child needs an evaluation, there are options. If the child is from zero to three years of age, we will refer the child to a great program run by the state's Department of Health called Early Intervention, which will arrange for an evaluation and provide therapy suited to the child's delays. Parents should know that they don't need a diagnosis to receive early intervention services. And in fact, waiting for a diagnosis of your child before seeking services may mean a delay in starting necessary therapies. If a child is not delayed enough to warrant therapies for early intervention, we may recommend finding private therapies, parent training, and then a re-evaluation by early intervention three to six months later if the child has not made progress. If there are any concerns about speech or language, we also refer the child to a pediatric audiologist for a hearing evaluation. If the child is three years and older, parents can request the Department of Education, so it's the Committee for Preschool Special Education, or for five years and above, the Committee for Special Education to evaluate the child. And at any point, in conjunction with any of the above, we may also refer the child to specialists that are trained to evaluate and care for children with developmental delays. These include pediatric behavior and developmental specialists, a pediatric neurologist, or a pediatric psychologist. However, the first step should be early intervention or the Department of Education, as sometimes it may take a few months to see these specialists. Now, some parents are anxious at the thought of these evaluations because they worry about their child getting labeled at a young age. But we always tell parents that many infants and toddlers need extra help and that timely evaluation and support always is the best plan to get kids back on track and ready to thrive when they start school. Now, Melanie, you asked about the importance of early intervention, and this is really important. In the first years of a child's life, the brain connections or neural circuits, which are the foundation for lifelong learning and behavior, are the most adaptable. So these connections are more difficult to change when a child is older. Targeted interventions at an early age, as soon as a delay is detected, is more effective and can change a child's developmental trajectory so that the child can reach his or her best potential. Well, thank you again. Dr. Huang, just briefly tell us the types of therapy. I know that you are not an occupational therapist or physical therapist, but you do this every day. What are these therapies like for a child? How well do they tolerate them? Are they fun? Are they easy for the children and the parents to go through? Tell us a little bit about what these therapies really entail. Of course. So the therapies are play-based, interactive, and one-to-one with the child. Some therapies include training parents to interact with the child. Children tolerate the therapies really well, and often they look forward to seeing their therapist. So some of the different therapies are speech and language therapy. So these therapists interact with the child by talking and playing, using books, pictures, or other objects to stimulate language development. They may also model correct sounds and help the child work on musculature or feeding issues. Physical therapy, these therapists work through play and activities to help a child improve large movements like crawling, walking, and running. They help children work on balance and coordination and help them become stronger and more active. There's occupational therapy. So occupational therapists work with the child and the family to promote a child's independence and self-confidence when performing day-to-day routines, such as getting ready for school, sleep, mealtimes, 
and participation in social or family activities. They use interactive play to improve gross motor skills and fine motor skills for self-care and learning, such as using zippers, buttons, scissors, crayons, or self-feeding, or toileting. And they can also address behavior, emotional, or sensory problems. Some children may get a therapy called special instruction, and a special instruction therapist uses activities to promote cognitive skills and social interactions. Now, you may notice that there's overlap among the different therapies. Just remember that the therapists work together as a team to deliver interventions designed to target each child's delays. So how long does it take for parents listening to see results? Will they still need these therapies? You mentioned that early intervention is from zero to three. So what happens once they enter school? And what can parents do at home to help their children with these delays? Give us some tips for home strategies that can help. Of course. So because each child is different and there's a wide spectrum of delays, you may see improvement in a few weeks or it may take a few months. The good news is that many children improve so much they don't require additional therapies beyond age three. Some may continue to need support until kindergarten or beyond. Reevaluations can be done at ages three and five to see if therapies are still needed. So in terms of what parents can do at home to help their children, if the child is receiving therapies, it is helpful for parents to watch and work with the therapists on a regular basis and ask the therapist to teach them techniques to help the child build skills at home. After all, the therapists are only with the child a few hours a week, whereas parents and caretakers spend so much more time. At home, I suggest carving out a small, fun space so the child has his or own space to learn or play. I recommend making everyday activities fun and opportunities for interaction. So if you're preparing dinner, have your child help you with some small chores, such as breaking up broccoli florets, peeling oranges, kneading dough. This helps with fine motor development. Talk about all the ingredients you're going to use. If you're cleaning up, encourage your child to imitate you or help you move clothing to the hamper or furniture or other items to one end of the room. This helps them build strength, coordination, and tires them out. Offer your children opportunities to communicate and make choices. Ask them what they're feeling. Ask if they want to wear the blue shirt or the yellow shirt for the day. If your child has speech or socialization delays, always offer positive reinforcement if he initiates communication. Finally, I ask parents to have patience. Some children with delays can become frustrated when they cannot express themselves, and this may lead to tantrums. Now, we understand that parents may be anxious, stressed, or even angry if their child has delays. However, children can sense these emotions and are affected by them. So it's always important for parents to find help to deal with their own emotions or struggles. Interaction should be positive, and a child should never be punished if he or she is unable to master a new skill. Great information. Wrap it up for us. Dr. Huang, this is such an educational and informative episode for parents. Tell us what you'd like them to know about developmental milestones and how not to worry if they don't always happen exactly on time, but when you feel it's important that they call their pediatrician. Sure. So we know that the first years of development are crucial for lifelong learning and developmental skill building. Parents and caretakers should provide a nurturing, stimulating environment and monitor how their child communicates, learns, moves, and acts. Any concern should be addressed sooner rather than later. We can help to increase awareness by speaking with relatives, friends, and neighbors about developmental delays and encouraging conversations with pediatricians. 
And finally, remember, kids develop at their own pace, and they should be fine as long as they are making progress and gaining new skills. Great information. Thank you so much, Dr. Huang, for joining us today and sharing your incredible expertise for parents. This is a great topic. And while Cornell Medicine continues to see our patients in person, as well as through video visits, and you can be confident of the safety of your appointments at Wild Cornell Medicine. Thank you so much to Dr. Wong and to our listeners. That concludes today's episode of Kids HealthCast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Wild Cornell Medicine podcasts. For more health tips, please follow us on your social channels. I'm Melanie Cole. Rehabilitation medicine can help patients with a wide array of disorders and diseases, including cancer. If cancer care is of interest, listen to CancerCast, while Cornell Medicine's dedicated oncology podcast featuring leaders in the field and patient stories, CancerCast highlights dynamic discussions about the exciting developments in oncology. All information contained in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes. The information is not intended nor suited to be a replacement or substitute for professional medical treatment or for professional medical advice relative to a specific medical question or condition. We urge you to always seek the advice of your physician or medical professional with respect to your medical condition or questions. While Cornell Medicine makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. And any reliance on such information is done at your own risk. Participants may have consulting, equity, board membership, or other relationships with pharmaceutical, biotech, or device companies unrelated to their role in this podcast. No payments have been made by any company to endorse any treatments, devices, or procedures. And while Cornell Medicine does not endorse, approve, or recommend any product, service, or entity mentioned in this podcast. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not represent the perspectives of Wild Cornell Medicine as an institution.